0: You know, providing value, genuine value, sort of like it's the the price of entry. You have to be doing that on some level. But what I've realized over time is that you can do that by giving information. And that's what the vast majority of people try and do. But there's another way to provide value that I think a lot of people overlook in the podcast space. And that's where I feel I've awakened to it and I've gotten a lot better at standing in that place, and that is letting people know they're not alone.
1: Welcome to The Ziegler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and I'll ask, do you want a good life? Goofy question to ask, understood, but in truth, it does sum up what we are all working towards, or at least hoping and dreaming of to have a truly good life. Well, one of the top podcasts on planet earth is the good life project. It's hosted by Jonathan fields. Jonathan has truly done something profound in the pursuit of a good life, you know, in the personal development industry worldwide and amidst everyone globally desiring to make individual progress. Jonathan has brilliantly boiled things down to three buckets. It's really tremendous. We of course talk through these three points and it's the essence of his podcast and his best-selling book of the same name, the good life project. But amongst that, I also dig into Jonathan and what got him to this point to embrace this movement and become the leader he is, uh, be- that he is now, and that he's still becoming to so many people. It's incredibly intriguing and gives us all a lot to think about in regards to how we are living, loving, and ultimately leading. So you can connect with Jonathan and all he has for you at goodlifeproject.com or of course just search for him in iTunes. He'll be right at the top of the list or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. On that, let's get started. Well, Jonathan, it is, um, I mean, you know, I'm I'm the host. I'm supposed to say it's an honor, man. It truly is. I, I just have been really digging into your stuff, and uh, such a kindred spirit in your quest. I'm I'm just I'm just a fan, and you've inspired me. And, and I w- I want to look at this. I mean, the good life, and you talk about that right off in the book and in your message. I mean, what a huge issue, and it encompasses so many aspects and. I'm wondering that today your day-to-day life as you work with people, as you go to the coffee shop, as you're just in social groups, what is the uh, the 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 initial thought that comes to mind when you're thinking about this good life and, and people who have a good life or they're you can see them suffering from it, what's the main ingredient that tends to stick in your mind? the most? And I ask that with a bias that I tend to look at health and wellness. I don't know why that comes to me first There's so many things, but what's the ingredient that tends to haunt your mind the most with people?
0: Yeah, I think that ingredient is, well, first, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the kind words. Um, when I think about that ingredient, um, the thing that I think pops into people's minds first and foremost is, is very often health, you know, and it's that old saying, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything and and that's that's certainly true although what i have found i'm 52 on the you know I'm, I'm i'm into the middle years of my life and i'm at an age where i have a lot of friends who either live with some level of disability or chronic pain or they've been through some severe illness they've been through loss and health absolutely matters but what i found is that if, as you get a bit further into life health is really important but there comes a time also where sort like um you start to realize that the depth of your relationships are the thing that really sustains you as you move through whatever life throws at you. Um, So, you know, if we don't have, you know, the vessel that contains us as we move through life to be healthy, to be as optimized as we can get it to be, then we don't have anything. Once we have that, um, the thing that really is the difference maker is relationships. It's the Mm -hmm. depth of your relationships. If you think about the grant study for men, which is the longest running study on human flourishing. Um, And granted, yes, it was done all on males, which it would be awesome to have a bigger data set, you know, that included everybody, males, females, fluid gender, whatever we can fold into that. But um, the, the longest curator of that study, George Valiant, was asked, you know, when you have looked at literally every variable that's occurred in people's lives over a window, a span of 90 years. And these included everyone from former presidents to people who um, lived very hand to mouth um, in the neighborhood. Was there a single unifying factor that was the big difference maker? And his answer was, happiness is love, full stop. It's all about relationships. It's about the depth and quality of relationships. And I have come to believe that You know, while vitality, relationships, and a sense of purposeful contribution are all critical, my focus increasingly is really on – it's on love. It's on relationships.
1: Okay. So, and I want to come back to that now with my admitted focus that I often have on health and wellness – So I'm just curious on your take on this because I keep looking at it and I, and I always bristle being, I mean, I grew up in the personal development world and I still am today. And I bristle when, you know, whoever's thing is their only thing, just like we have in health and wellness, this pill, this herb, this, uh, this oil, this, whatever is the thing. And it's no, it's not maybe one of them, but, but in this, you know, with health and wellness, I don't want to be that guy who said it's, it's the thing I do struggle with it being. Maybe it's just a sequentially, uh, the thing, because if you don't, just like you said, if your vessel is compromised, then it is harder to have those. If we put relationships as the Holy grail, in a sense, it makes it harder. So is that, uh, do you fall in line with that?
0: Yeah. So let's, let's zoom the lens out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Um, so my model of a good life is essentially we all have three buckets. We have, vitality, connection, and contribution. A good life is when you optimize your vitality, which is your state of mind, your state of body. When you you create, cultivate deep and meaningful relationships and when you have purposeful contribution, most people equate that with work, whether it's the thing you get paid for or not. So the point you just brought up is really important in this context because those three buckets do not exist in isolation from each other. Mm -hmm. There's a constant feedback mechanism between the two. So if you talk to me about relationships, you know, one of the things that I'll tell you is that the state of your personal relationships will have a very real and measurable effect on both your state of body and your state yeah. of mind. Yeah. The state, and like you just said, your state of physical well being, your state of uh, mental well being, you can hear that siren. I, the back. I got it. Hey, it's New Proof York. That it's, it's New, New York. York anyway. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, You know, so so your state of of physical and mental well-being and health are also going to definitely feed back into your ability to develop and cultivate meaningful relationships. And those two things are also going to feed back into your ability to understand what matters to you and then purposefully contribute to the world in a way that is really aligned. So there is no there, you know, there's in my mind, it's kind of like the old split that that people used to talk about. Well, you know, there's your body. And there's your, your your mind, as if there were two different things, which we now know, I mean, now through tons of science, the, the, to, to actually distinguish between those two is just complete fiction. You know, the feedback between those systems is so close and so tight that there is no real distinction between them. And So so when we talk about your health and your relationships and meaningful contribution, to me, you, you can kind of make name those as the big buckets, but you're 100% right. It, there's no way to isolate them. One feedback feeds back into the other, which feedbacks into the other. And it's sort of like this either virtuous or destructive cycle.
1: Do you see that? I mean, I, I, I hear you saying, okay, we know better than to think the body mind uh, connection or that it's not connected, that, it, that it's separate. So we know that, but I, I'm, I'm fortunately i think that we may still be small i mean don't you see it i mean again being in the personal development yeah. world in the influencing world and in the you know with the authors and presenters and speakers and the leaders of our time that we still see that i think less i think people are getting more and more into that but we still can have this have this tendency to think that our body can you know go to hell in a handbasket in some sense or at least be compromised a little bit but oh i mean we can we can think and and yet we see the we see the results of that it doesn't last
0: yeah well so their Two ideas bumbled in that. One is actually buying into the reality, into the truth that these these are two tightly interwoven systems and they re- you can't separate them. Um the other is even if you do agree with that, then actually um behaving in the world in a way that acknowledges um that truth. You know, like, so most of us would be like, yeah, that makes sense to me. I'll buy into that. I see all the science, it makes perfect sense to me. And then we go out and we eat horribly and we work insane hours and we never pit stop to refuel. And we don't, you know, self-care is non-existent in our lives. And, you know, if you look at the average um, person who has gone through a cardiac incident Mm -hmm. and and whether they have surgery or whatever it may be, and then they go into cardiac rehab, which has a number of stages to rehab, what you find is a very high level of compliance in stage one. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: By the time somebody actually completes all stages, if they complete it, And then they go out back into their lives. And a year down the road, if you look at the lifestyle behavior of many of those people, a year or two years down the road, it's reverted substantially back to the same behavior that was a significant contribution to the original incident. Because Mm -hmm. the further they get from the pain Mm -hmm. of the incident, the less of a daily reminder they have of the importance of certain behaviors in the world. And they just kind of start to... They you know, they want the marshmallow and they want the whatever it may be, and they want to be sedentary and they want to do the other things because they're not feeling it on a day-to-day basis anymore. And compliance, whether you're a physician wanting somebody to take life-sustaining medication, whether you're a trainer wanting somebody to exercise four to five days a week, whether you're a nutritionist wanting somebody to eat you know more whole foods and vegetables, compliance is the single biggest nut that to my mind, very few people have cracked. Um, how do you actually
1: make that happen? Oh, yeah. We're going to have to talk offline on that one. So, you know what? No, no, yeah. no, no, I'll divulge. I just got out of a meeting with a nutritional supplement company, one that we really like. And we talked about that and we're looking at on a big scale as we offer a, a national uh, product that's, that'll be coming up soon on nutritional supplements. So here it is. Here's the price MSRP and giving a discount. If they will sign up for an automatic shipment and automatic purchase. Now, obviously, does that make mean that we all, you know, on the selling end make more money? Yeah. But if I make zero, I'm it's I need this. I need it. If it does not get shipped to my door, I run out. I don't take them. My compliance goes down. So does my health Uh, behavioral economics.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's why if you look at your average gym, your average health club, right. (sighs) Um, the vast majority of people sign up and never go after the first six weeks. And in fact, the entire model is based on the assumption that Absolutely. something between 80% and 80 to 90% of your paying customers will not attend on a regular basis. If they did, you would immediately close down. Absolutely. Because you don't have the capacity to actually serve your existing customers. You know, but they also won't cancel their memberships until very often months after you've stopped attending. Because that means that you actually have to proactively say, no, I'm sort of you know I'm 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 opting out of this positive behavior that I've already yeah. like automatically opted into. Yeah. So the interesting thing with what you're just talking about is if you set somebody up on a subscription model where they have to they have to proactively opt out of a particular behavior, it definitely reinforces a behavior. But at the same time, um, what you'll find is even on that model, very often, if the behavior that you're looking for is anything beyond a really simple action. Even then, even if it's being shipped to somebody's door, even if it's automatically taken out of somebody's bank account, they still won't do it because there's a lot more that has to be in place. It's kind of interesting. The, um, for the last two years on our podcast, the, the the opening podcast of the year, I've sort of devoted to something I call my seven P success scaffolding. And it's the idea that having a plan of action is not enough. That there's there are environmental changes that you need to make. There are behavioral changes. There are sort of ritualistic and routine changes you need to make in order to create scaffolding to um, to support action taking. And most people do one thing, which is they have some kind of plan, right? But there's a whole a plan won't get you there. And most plans that people adopt also, <laughs> the moment that they actually interact with the reality of the person's life. They fall apart because they're not a plan which is built upon the reality of a person's day-to-day life. You know, so if somebody is like, well, you know, I'm gonna eat entirely only whole foods, three meals a day and never snack, and then work out five days a week, I'm gonna do this, and then you're talking about somebody who's on the road all the time, and you're talking about somebody who lives in isolation, you're talking about yeah. it's just it's so unrealistic that, you know, aspirationally on paper, it looks great, but the minute it hits you know reality, it's, it's completely useless. It's the same thing with entrepreneurs who are looking to start a company and they have great pro formas and great cash flow statements and great projections. And they have like the, the formulas are dialed in, but it's the garbage in, garbage out thing. If the fundamental assumptions that go into that are wrong, everything that flows from that is wrong. It's the same thing. If you don't have the fundamental scaffolding for healthy behavior, nothing else matters either because okay. you won't sustain the behavior.
1: Okay. Well, and I saw a little bit about the scaffolding and didn't dig into that part. Explain it. Cause to me, it sounds like you are saying in essence, we have a plan. Now we need a plan for our plan.
0: Um, no, what you need is something beyond a plan. A okay plan won't get you there. Okay. Um, first you have to like have a plan that actually that is realistic, a plan that is progressive and adaptable, a plan that is actually, um, dynamic and works within both the constraints and, and the, um, opportunities of your unique lifestyle situation. It's not you know just sort of a stock out of a book. This is the one plan that fits all, which is why I'm 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 a huge um, opponent of turnkey um, universal systems, and I'm a huge proponent of frameworks because if uh, you know a framework is essentially a decision making model which shows you how to make intelligent decisions in the context of your own personal life circumstance. Um, rather than saying this is a system, this is a turnkey system, you know, like everybody just go do it, which never worked. You know, two, three percent of the people who where that system just happens to organically fit who they are and the way they live, and they get astonishing results, and they become the testimonials for that system, and then everyone's like, "Oh, wow! Like it must work." But the reality is, they're the extreme outliers, right. and then everybody feels shame and blame when they try that same system. And they fail miserably because it is not the system which is appropriate for them. It's not It's not a framework which allows them to say, okay, I understand what's important. I understand what's important to me. I understand how to interact with the world in a way where I can say yes and no to the things that matter in a way that is sustainable in my life.
1: Okay you're yeah you're you're barking at my tree. I love that. I love the, I love the framework. I mean in the you know so in the, this this wellness world and functional medicine is is the focal point of a lot of what we do here and we literally talk we've been kind of beating our head not beating our heads but but we st- struggle with that because we know yeah there's no global system that's going to work for everybody. And in this arena, it's personalized, you know, medicine, personalized health, healthcare is the only way. So in this, as you're talking about the good life project, I didn't read that word in your book, but I see it as that as it's a framework and you don't get all detailed down and you don't have the 15 steps. You have three buckets put into that bucket. What works for you? Uh, that then is your good life framework. Yes.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's a really simple, highly adaptable model. I am a huge fan of practical in the world tools and solutions. And I'm also a huge fan of simplicity. Yeah. So one of the other things that I've seen, I'm sure you've seen this in your practice, right in the functional medicine side of things, is the minute people's eyes glaze over, you've lost. You're gone, yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter how, how much science is behind what you're saying. If people can't just immediately understand what you're saying, and understand how to implement it in their own lives, it just doesn't matter. I, I had the chance. I don't know if you've spoken before with um, Terry Walls on the Mm-mm. podcast at all. Mm-mm. She's the um, uh, physician and a researcher who was diagnosed with um, progressive MS a, a chunk of years back, and it was progressing very quickly. And she was, and ended up very quickly rounding in a, you know, um, Automated uh, sort of—I um, forgot what they call them—an uh, electric chair, basically, that sort of like let her go around the hospital. And um, she largely reversed uh, all the symptomology of her MS by nutrition, by uh, treating food as medicine.
1: You, you know what? My my partner was just at an institute for functional medicine uh, gathering, or it was, it was last year, maybe the fall or something. She was there. She talked, went through the story. He related it to me. I thought the name sounded familiar. Unbelievable uh, story.
0: Yeah, super cool. And, and, oh I, and I bring it up not even because of that point. I bring it up because when I was speaking with her, she said something that really has stayed with me that's really like spot on for the conversation we're having right now, which is she said, I view my job as a physician to um, so that when a patient leaves my office, like I, I have them repeat back to me a clear understanding of everything that we just talked about and exactly what they need to do. And if they can't say it back to me in simple terms, then I, as a physician have not done my job, which is, and I said to her, I said, that's really interesting. I said, is that the standard sort of like course of dealing in the industry? And she almost started laughing. (laughs) She's like, she's like, sadly, no, you know, she's like for my patients. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like you won't leave my office until you get it. Um, And, and I, I sometimes think that, that all, and look, I'm raising my hand too, like, We all have egos. We all like to present ourselves as if we know something in the world, right? But I think sometimes that gets in the way of just being really simple and valuable and saying, let me distill this idea down to its simplest form to make it as so that you can hear it once, remember it for life, and then act on it on a daily basis. So that is that is my goal when I put things into the world. So when we talk about the framework of the good life buckets, it's something you hear it once, like you will all remember, you know, like. Connection, contribution, vitality, three buckets. A a good life is basically doing a little bit of something every day to fill each one of those three buckets. If any of them run dry, your life runs dry, right? You can wake up in the morning and think, huh, let me do a quick bucket scan, right? Vitality is feeling maybe a six out of 10 today. You know, I haven't slept all that well. I'm feeling kind of tired, maybe a little sick. You know, connection bucket. You know what? I haven't really spent a whole lot of time with my partner or been in touch with good friends. I'm going to call that a five contribution bucket i've actually been working like crazy and i love what i'm doing i'm going to call that an eight or nine so really quickly in the first 30 seconds of your day you've just had a diagnostic experience which lets you figure out huh what does it make sense for maybe me to give a little bit of love to as i move through this day
1: Hey friends, I'm sure you are as intrigued as I am with Jonathan's story and message. Again, connect with all that he has for you at goodlifeproject.com or of course just search for that show in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and you can get the book wherever you get your books. We're gonna hear his answer to my question right after I let you know about some great sponsors and offers we have for you in today's show. Well, so in that, I, you know, in looking at you being in this, and I'm going to, I'm going to call it the personal development, you know, world, the self-help world, which is where we are here, which is where our entire podcast demographic, you know, is where they listening to your show or the Ziegler show or Tim Ferriss or whatever. They're people who are aspiring. They do want more. They do want to progress. And yet. I'm sure you're as as aware as I am or more that we are also in this industry where we take in knowledge, we take in, 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 in, we're not always seeing the move, the needle move in people's lives, which brings me to what you're doing because it's, it's, it's amazing. I looked at your show yesterday, Jonathan, and you were sitting at, I think, uh, number 60, uh, overall. Podcasts overall. And folks, if, if you're hearing that and don't realize how significant that is, that's significant. That's, that's a really big deal. And amongst so many peers with such good messages, what do you, as you look back now uh, amidst this Good Life project, what do you attribute some of it to that did you expect it what did you not expect but is some of it to that degree that you made it simple so that people can remember it they can engage well i'll let you answer it
0: yeah i mean it's funny because i i'm constantly trying to deconstruct that very thing and figure it out um because as somebody who is both a maker and a creator but also a teacher i'm always trying to figure out what's what is what's luck what's reproducible what's teachable Um, and probably a couple of things come to mind. Um, I think to a certain extent um, fortune favors endurance. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, yes, if you look at where we're sitting today, we're number 60 overall in the world out of like four or 500,000 podcasts. Sweet. Right. But then if you take a look back, what you'll see is that we actually started in 2012. We've mm. been producing consistently um, on a weekly basis for like going on six years now, where probably 99% of the field that started producing media with me then is gone. Yeah. You know, they just, it, there was no sort of commitment to long-term growth, to long-term sustained improvement, to long-term value provision And also to the development of craft, which Mm -hmm. there is no way to really, you know, accelerate that dramatically. It takes an investment of time. It takes the endurance to say, okay, I'm starting out now. I own the fact that I suck, (laughs) you know, because we all do in the beginning. That's where you have to be. Beginner's mind. And I'm on the fact that, you know, if I stay with this over a period of months and years, I'm going to get a little bit better. And as I get better, hopefully I'll get better at the craft of what I'm doing. I'll get wiser at the knowledge side of what I'm doing. And, you know, the people who some way resonate with that will stick with me and the audience will slowly build over time. And, you know, I think that that's been one of the things that has really sustained. So it's, I take a very long-term perspective. And I think part of that also may come from the fact that uh, my background is not in the online world. My background is in brick and mortar entrepreneurship, where you've got serious stakes, you've got serious investment, and and even if you succeed, it's very likely that you won't recoup your investment for years. You know, not days or minutes or months. So you have to be in it for long term. You know, you have to be looking at the long term growth and be willing to invest in in effort over long term. So I think you know when I say fortune favors endurance, that's what I mean, you know, that, that you've got to have a commitment. And then the bigger thing was, well, what keeps you in the game? What keeps you working when you just wake up at times? You're like, Oh, wow. Like I thought, you know, we are producing amazing stuff and nobody's responding and I'm really bummed and everybody else is bailing, doing something else. And, um, and I think it's a blend of feeling a, 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 a strong sense of, um, purpose a strong sense of flow and a strong sense of um, expression. You know, and I call that state being sparked, right? It's the overlap of being on purpose, deep in flow and fully expressed. You know, that I feel this sense of I'm I'm doing what I'm here to do. I feel the sense that while I work, I have strong windows of time where I get lost in time because this is play to me. You know, I have become the thing that I want to do and I would pay to do this. And the expression side is really, it's the expression of knowledge, it's the expression of interest, um, and the, it's the expression of identity and craft, you know? And I think when the more you can keep adjusting your work with those things, the more aligned who you are in the world and what you do becomes with those things, you enjoy it on a level where even if you get knocked around, you'll, you'll sustain, you know, you'll endure long enough um, and at the same time, that sense of alignment creates a coherence or a resonance mm-hmm. that people perceive that 's been my experience over time um, but again it 's every once in a while you see somebody hit that really, really quickly. They just get lucky they somehow they dialed it in out of the gate. My experience has been the vast majority of people that I know that, that find her to come close to it, move in and out of it because i don 't think it 's a long term sustainable thing. you kind of oscillate and yeah. out of it it 's um you know, it's, it's a long game. I know I just dropped a lot of different
1: things. (laughs) No, I know. I I love it. I want to come back to, uh, again, you know, looking at how to live a good life. And I, I've been digging into it. I love it. It's brilliant folks. That's why we've got Jonathan on here. Go get the book and dig into it. Get the book, get the journal. Um, it is significant, uh, one, but I think as much as the content is, it's the way that you deliver it. And I was, I was enamored with your show. Um, you have on great guests. You're, you're a great interview, but I want to ask that we have so many people in our audience who are uh, podcasters and they are bloggers, but especially let's look at the podcast side of it. As we know that the information is only as good, uh, as the degree to which we can get people to engage, digest, comply, as you talked about a little bit ago. So as you look at this with your show, being where you are ranked as high as you are, obviously you have found some, uh, secret sauce that may not be a secret because I'm going to ask you about it. You know, with, with that, as you've looked at it and go, how can I get people to digest? how have you, you mentioned your craft developing your craft in, in this message delivery that you're doing primarily on the podcast. What have you altered since you started some of the primary ingredients so that us, the listeners, you know, that we will listen a little longer, listen a little deeper, take a little more action and listen to the next show.
0: Yeah. So, um, Hopefully I suck less than I did when I started. (laughs)
1: Well, obviously testimony is yes.
0: Um, But yeah, and again, these are questions that I've been sort of diving into myself because I'm curious, you know, and I think part of it is that it's, it's, you know, I'm thousands and thousands of hours into this and I still really try and revert to beginner's mind. But when you talk about craft, um, you talk about, um, so, the, the format of our podcast, which we've actually experimented with a bunch over time, but, but currently every week we produce a long form, about a 60 minute conversation. And then we produce a short form segmented show where it's just me talking about topics of interest, very often sharing research because I'm a complete geek around science. So, you know, providing value, genuine value, is sort of like that's the, you know, the price of entry. You have to be doing that on some level. But what I've realized over time, is that you can do that by giving information. And that's what the vast majority of people try and do. But there's another way to provide value that I think a lot of people overlook in the podcast space. And that's where I feel I've awakened to it and I've gotten a lot better at standing in that place. And that is letting people know they're not alone. Mm. Um, Simply knowing, so I don't have to have... Uh, You know, I don't have to do a 15 minute riff on a particular topic and say like, this is the answer to everything. I'm going to give you the seven tips to make it all happen. I may like, it may be good enough for me to say, you know what, I had this experience the other day and I couldn't shake it. It really bothered me and I meditate every day and I do this and I do that. And I just, it's still, it stayed with me and it's bothering me now in this moment when I'm talking to you. And I don't know what to do about it. And here's some of the way that I'm trying to think about it. Here's how I'm processing it. Here's one thing that maybe I've figured out that that is kind of helping me. Um, so let me offer that out to you. And I'd love to hear what you have to say too. It's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. What that requires is understanding that the value is not just in information and solutions. The value can also be in creating an experience that lets people know you are not alone. There's huge, huge value, especially in a day and age where so many people feel isolated, um, oppressed and disenfranchised. That alone has huge value. The other part of it is um, I've devoted a lot of energy to, to the craft of interviewing. And I, and I don't consider myself an interviewer. I consider myself um, we produce conversations, not interviews. And every once in a while, we'll get a, a comment on the podcast where somebody's like, "Love the guest. I wish the host would shut up." <laughs> and and, uh, and so I'm very clear. I'm like, "This is not a traditional interview. This is you know, this is two people who were sitting like sitting next to each other at a friend's dinner party who just start talking, and there's something interesting that you know that they want to have a conversation about. So it is mm-hmm. much more free free flowing conversation. But I've also gotten I've gotten um, much better at cultivating what I call exquisite attention, a sense of safety and hyper-focused awareness um, so that it feels like um, it is a very nourishing place that there's nobody, nowhere else that exists in the world during the conversation. Um, I feel like I've gotten better at being present and listening and observing while we're sort of in that container and also, I have very likely gotten actually I know I have because I'm pushing myself to get bolder about asking the questions that I really want to ask, but would be uncomfortable for me to ask and potentially uncomfortable for somebody to answer
1: yeah.
0: um, and i've often, I've also gotten you know i I explore different like very sort of granular techniques, like for example, if you ask somebody a question and then they give you an answer. And then you just count to yourself, three, two, one. That three seconds of silence is so absurdly uncomfortable for the average human being that we will fill the need to fill that space with something, anything. And when you fill the space, that's the time where... The ideas, the wisdom, the vulnerability, the self-expression that was not sort of prepared and planned, that's when that emerges. And that very often is when the conversation gets real. When you go off script and you create mechanisms and invitations for the people that you're in conversation with to go off script as
1: well. Okay. That's really curious. I'm sitting here trying to be bright enough to put these pieces together. And I don't know that I, that I can do it on the fly like this, but from a sales standpoint, Ziegler, you know, is big on, on sales. We just did yeah. a big event with secrets of closing the sale. It's on sales, but of course that was his venue to get into your life and have impact there. But from a sales, from a closing technique. It's the same thing. Okay. Okay. Well, that's what I'm wondering because that yeah. was one of the ones I was, I was told as a kid, I remember sitting in front of, you know, grown men and I would give my sales pitch on, on whatever and give the offer and shut up. Yeah. It's excruciating and yet brutal. Oh, but yeah. Yeah. And so you're talking about, it. this isn't sales. You're just talking about humanity, the pause at the end of what? Uh, not a sales pitch necessarily, but from, from your standpoint, something they've shared that allows them to, or not allows them It uh, Yeah.
0: So the, the pause is, is a gateway to vulnerability and spontaneity and serendipity, right? Because it it unlocks a deeper truth, right? And it unlocks something that was not prepared Mm -hmm. and it's that stuff in life um that leads to the best friendships the best adventures the best experiences and the best conversations and in sales you know it's that is the the space that also it deepens it creates the same thing um it deepens the conversation to a level where people are getting real mm. and what do we know about sales right why why do so many people focus on rapport building because Trust is everything, right? Trust comes from vulnerability and a series of deepening um, disclosures. And, though, and, and that emerges very often when you create the space for it to emerge um, and not before. So it's one of the things that, you know, when you talk about the, the corollary with, um, with sales and also just having good conversations, it's kind of the same stuff, you know, when it comes down to it. I mean, if you're a functional medicine, you know, like a practitioner and, and you want to have a conversation with a patient or a client that leaves them deeply moved and willing to actually take the change, make the changes in their life that will move the needle and make them well again, that is a sales conversation, mm-hmm. but it's also just a human conversation and, and when you zoom the lens out, like none of this happens until and unless you you create safety. Hmm. You know, and, and that, I mean, I've learned that in the context of individual conversations. I've learned it in context of so many programs that we have run over the years. I've learned it in the context of your annual adult summer camp where we now have 425 people living communally for three and a half days. And one of the things we learned really fast is that if we don't figure out how to create safety, nothing else matters. If we do figure out how to create safety, it almost doesn't, everything that needs to unfold from that moment forward unfolds because people feel okay dropping the facade. They feel okay getting real. They feel okay being vulnerable and disclosing who they, they really are, what matters to them, what they care about. And once that happens, like everything changes.
1: Well, obviously, again, and not to just tout numbers, but I'm looking at the success of your show. I read some of your testimonials and I saw testimony to what you have just said that didn't resonate as much till now as you discussed it of creating safety. I I will raise my hand and admit that as a podcast host um, with, with a show with great numbers and, and, and good ranking and great, uh, you know, the, the best of the best interviewees, I've never thought I need to create safety in my show. And yet what you say resonates because it is relationship. And in that I know it, but I didn't bring it here. So if we were to all bring that into not only our personal relationships, but our work relationships, and even to the aspect of being a presenter, can I be on stage? Have you thought about this as you're on same thing as you're on stage in front of live humans, that you are there to create safety so that I'll let you fill that in so that they,
0: so that I can take people from a place at the beginning um, through a journey and deliver them into a different state or place. So oh. in a very past life, um, I, you know, I've been in uh, the fitness industry in a, a number of different ways mm-hmm. too. At one point I owned a, a, a health club. At one point I, I owned um, a large yoga center in New York city for seven years and I taught. So I was on the floor teaching thousands of students and I've trained hundreds of teachers and in New York City, if somebody comes to you after a really hard day and they're giving you ninety minutes of their day, mm. that is a huge responsibility. Mm. And then if you pack people match mat into a room, you know, you multiply that ninety by a lot of people, that's a big responsibility. Right. So I realized that pretty mm. early on. And my goal was I said, everybody's landing here kind of frazzled, kinda of burned out. It, they all need something a little bit different, but there's some sort of like universal things that they all need. And I knew that my job was to take them from the state that they came to me in and take them through some sort of collective journey that would leave them in a different state, that would leave them in some way changed. And what I learned really quickly was that I need to create safety to do that and for them to let go, to be present, to not be thinking about like themselves and whether they could do a pose or how they looked doing this or being you know, like being judgmental about themselves. Um, I needed them to just let go and know that they were completely safe and it was okay to just if you needed to be like curled up in fetal position weeping for 90 minutes, that's okay. If you want to fully express the most you know outrageous, you know, physical manifestation of pose, that's okay too. And everything in between.
1: So so Jonathan, I'm wondering as you've gone along in your story as a, an entrepreneur, um, and, uh, with ups and downs, I read about the yoga place and the struggles there and, and and that, and now into an author and a, a podcaster, but which is a, you know, term for speaker presenter to me, an influencer. When did you realize this? Was it a gradual understanding was there an epiphany point where it just it kind of hit you? Because at some point you were you were back here. You were you were an older version of, of Jonathan and not the guy who hosts this massive podcast and has a, a best selling book and all that. Where along these lines of doing life and doing business and trying to progress in your old world, did you realize this thing that is now a primary, not even a platform. It's it's, it's the vehicle. It's a methodology that utilizing all that you're doing when did that come about
0: yeah i I think it's an it's honestly an evolutionary process for me you know if i look back uh, it's been a part of the businesses that i built for decades they've always been community driven businesses Mm -hmm. in some way shape or form Um, i've always been deeply fascinated by social dynamics and collective social dynamics i was a a club dj when i was in college and i had my own company and then I was also you know, like out spinning in clubs. And I learned very early on that you could have hundreds of people on a dance floor till four in the morning. And as the DJ, I had a tremendous amount of control over like the, the energy and the social dynamic of this entire wave of humanity on the dance floor for an extended window of time. I could create a moment of collective elevation. I could create a moment of deep calm and ease. And I could take a, a group from being Frenetic and ecstatic and completely in the moment and 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 beyond self awareness to splitting into partners and being very calm and mellow and deeply other you know, like oriented and I think I've been fascinated by that dynamic for years. So when I move into business, I'm like, how can I understand um, the deep behavior of social dynamics in order to create moments and experiences and solutions? that are fun for me. And at the same time, in some way, leave people changed that has morphed into brick and mortar businesses in the yoga world and the fitness world. And now more recently, you know, in the virtual world. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it's all sort of like this evolutionary thing and the idea of creating a safe container and building community, I think I've keyed in on the more granular elements of what make it work um, probably over the last just three or four years, but I've been, probably less intentionally aware of it and playing with it and sort of massaging it and running experiments around all of this for decades.
1: Okay. I just like, as I'm writing notes, deep behavior of social dynamics in the same line with DJ in a club. That's meaningful. Uh, So as people are listening to this, as I'm listening to this, uh, Jonathan, as a student of, of your own progress, as well. And I want to tell you, we had a Ziegler meeting this morning about the podcast. And I told them I've been listening to your stuff and looking at it, really intrigued with what you're doing and uh, desiring to emulate some of it. I, I, I love the spirit uh, of it. As people are listening to this, myself included, and we hear that. Where do we go? Where would you lead people for resources on that, on becoming the type of person who is aware of the deep behavioral of social dynamics that realizes that they can lift a group, that they can deepen a group, that they can do that with an individual, um, uh, but also with a group? As again, we have a majority of folks here who are desire they are leading or influencing or they are deciding to to do that they want to become that and they're here with a desire and yet they need leading they need some resources
0: yeah that's a that's actually a tough one um so i have found a lot of ideas um in (laughs) this is going to sound weird the intersection between social psychology and um Nonviolent Revolution Theory.
1: <laughs> okay. Nonviolent Revolution Theory. Okay. Keep so, going. So,
0: yeah, like one of the classic books in understanding influence is Robert Cialdini's. Um, Influ- the name of the book is Influence, the Psychology of Persuasion. Every marketer, every copywriter on the planet can probably cite you, like, you know, like page and verse from that book because it deconstructs the process of human influence. But what it really is, is just understanding the psyche of action taking. Right, and it's more you know tailored towards individuals, but it is it is such a core. It's thir- something like thirty three, thirty four years old at this point. It is as relevant today as it ever was because it speaks to the human condition, and the human condition fundamentally doesn't change. Who we are is who we are. You know, the circumstance of humanity changes, but the essence of who we are it's, it's largely it is what it is. Um, so that's you know like a starting point I think for a lot of people. Cheltenius written a number of books since then also which are interesting. And because he's research-based, there's some really interesting science around it as well, rather than it being sort of like pure marketing. Um, there's, um, on the nonviolent revolution theory side of things, there's, um, uh, God, I'm completely blanking on his name now. Uh, literally a pamphlet, um, called from dictatorship to democracy, um, that was written, it'll come to me, I can't believe I'm spacing on his name, somebody who has studied his work deeply, somebody who's researched um, movements and and revolutions for decades and decades, decades, and created this relatively short booklet that has become the handbook for nearly every revolution um, in across the the globe for decades now.
1: Gene Sharp?
0: Uh, Yeah, Gene Sharp. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> I just um,
1: looked it up while you're talking i 'm searching so okay yeah. okay
0: and uh so and so a chunk of years ago, I actually started to pull from um, the psychology of influence i 'm also deeply i 'm a writer, so i'm deeply fascinated with with language and how language works, and I love music, I love sort of more tribal energetic things, and so I start to pull together all these disparate worlds um, to create a framework for to apply them all you know my question was can you essentially apply all these theories to create a movement like growth, but in a business context, or will it just bastardize everything? Um, and the answer is you can do it, but you have to be really careful how you do it or else you'll be perceived as being opportunistic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you may well be being opportunistic. So um, what's interesting is we actually, I, I created a manifesto around that, which um, um I'm happy to share with you if you want. Uh, I'll give you. It's nowhere right now, but if uh, if you want, it's just a PDF, and I'll give I'll give you a copy if you want to share it with anyone. And we built trainings and courses around it, and um, and I was I was leading that for a while, but we shut it all down because it was never supposed to be for anybody else. It was actually it wasn't my main thing, and it was becoming a distraction. But more recently, maybe because of what's happening in the world these days, um, I've been getting calls to sort of share more on that so i may end up writing a bunch around it but those those you know cialdini's got really powerful work around this um the if you go back in time you look at some of the work of um emil durkheim on collective effervescence that he's somebody who expands these ideas out into like large crowd dynamics i think it's really fascinating work also this is kind of esoteric reading Mm -hmm. so you have to be a bit of a geek to get into it um but there's some fascinating stuff around there too.
1: Well, I am fascinated. I do want that manifesto. Cool. And you know cuz again in this in this realm I have always been enamored with burdened with people who have life altering changing beautiful anointed messages that unfortunately can be, you know is judged by its cover. And not go anywhere, and I did. Bur- that burdens me, and so uh, lately, I-, I know with a-, a new business endeavor, I have. You know, it's only as good as can we get people to engage. And to me, behavioral economics is the term. And I recently read again the book Nudge. Um, which I feel is business one one and there's a new one. I've got it here on my desk, the undoing project by Michael oh, Lewis. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, my partner, bad,
0: a minute,
1: really, yeah. I, I, so my partner just said, yeah, you got to read that. You got to read that because yeah, if we can't get people to engage, which again, comes back to you in this good life project. And to me, what's is somewhat of a phenomenon to see what you're doing, how you're doing. And the fact that people are engaging at such a high level, so it, it 's a, a beautiful thing i I do want to ask you in the time we have about you and your own good life, so you today, what is this january i probably shouldn 't date a podcast, but the uh, beginning of the year Hopefully. in some year it is uh, as we sit here, here you are the new year 's rolled around in your good life you, your family your your, your, your staff uh, the folks that you 're working with. What is something that right now in the ingredients in the buckets is just you feel like oh, this one's overflowing right now?
0: Hmm. Um, contribution hmm. is overflowing to a point where it it may actually be overflowing too fast. Okay, <laughs> um,
1: tell, tell and
0: and some people would be like, "Oh, does that mean you're making a ton of money?" No, <laughs> um, you know we do fine. But what I mean by that is it's. At the end of last year, we've made some really substantial changes in business and in focus. And, and the truth is, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of not just talking the talk but walking the walk. And I realized that I had to actually hit a point of pretty extreme burnout. And I was like, you know what? Um, this can't continue. My contribution bucket, I'm doing all these things that are being very much of service, and it's nourishing a lot of levels. But there's a whole bunch of stuff that is really a deeper part of who I am that I'm not doing. I am fundamentally at heart. I'm a maker and a, and a geek, and I love to deconstruct stuff and then share it in a way that changes people. And I wasn't doing that enough. I was very outward focused and very service focused. I'm also on the introverted side of the social spectrum, so we've made a bunch of shifts in business now, where I am now sort of like very much in in a, in my cave and developing i mean we've got a a new website that's like almost rolling out we're rolling out a second podcast we are mm. rolling out i've been developing a whole new um, set of um, intellectual property around uh contributing to the world actually and how to uh how to find and do um, work that's deeply meaningful um, whether that's the thing you get paid for or not, in a practical, uh, in a practical way, that that what I referenced in the beginning of our conversation, kind of coming full circle, you know, that state of being sparked, which is the overlap of being on purpose, um, deep in flow, and fully expressed. How do you get that? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'm doing a lot of work around this, in um, and and it's all starting to bear fruit and it's all going to, this is sort of like a big thing that will roll out over the course of this year, along with the new podcast and, and other stuff. So that bucket right now is a huge part of my focus. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's filling really fast. My, my biggest challenge, if anything, is having circuit breakers to bring me back and say, Hey, listen, make sure you still take care of your physical health. Um, My, my optimal mode of contribution is to be a serial creator and not a parallel creator. And for me, that means I'm most fully expressed when I'm doing fewer things better. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm doing more things worse. Here's the classic entrepreneurial challenge, though, is that when you're in the early stage of a series of endeavors, any one of which you would love to see move forward on a, like a, and really take off. You don't have enough data points to know which is the one that will actually have legs or the Mm. one or two. So you necessarily have to be in a more things worse mode and be hyper alert of the data as it's coming in so that as soon as you can possibly do it, you call the things that you know don't have the level of opportunity that the other ones do. And as rapidly as you can, you get back to the point of being able to do fewer things better. So I'm sort of in that middle ground right now. and really looking forward because I'm starting to see some of the things. Um, so it's kind of this really interesting fertile place that I'm in right now.
1: Okay. So in that, my next question was, you know, where's the challenge within your buckets? What is the thing that is threatening the balance of the buckets? Now in regards to contribution, you just talked about some circuit breakers and some, some self care. I don't know if that relates to the overall question of when we look at your buckets on one that's, that's flowing over, where is the one that you're having to give affirmative action to because yeah. it's the weak link health. Okay.
0: Vitality That No doubt is vitality. So my mindset practices are really strong. I have daily meditation practices and stuff like that. Um, the, my movement is where it takes a knock. Um, so, Getting my body moving, committing to exercising, mobilizing my workflow yeah. so like right now i'm on a headset um, and right now i'm sitting because we have video on if but for the fact that we have video, if I was recording a podcast or if I was on a business call with anybody else, I would actually have one of four different types of headsets that I have depending on how i 'm communicating, and I would be walking the entire time if it was mm-hmm. warm enough i'd be outside today it's kind of cold, so I would you know I would be inside so I'm constantly trying to think of ways to to mobilize my workflow and then to go beyond that and make sure that I'm actually moving my body more intensely and going out and exercising. That's the thing that, that tends to um, take a hit for me. And that's the thing where I need to be most proactive at, um, at making sure that I have circuit breaker set up to tell me when that bucket is starting to run a little too low.
1: That's well, we need to get together and hang out because my, my health coach on the other side of the wall here, we met this morning on some goals that I'm working on and some things I'm not as, as happy with. And she said, I am working out too much, too intensely, and my cortisol levels are too high. And she said, Kevin, go meditate. You know, this, you got to instill it in the, not just once. Cause I, I do it in the morning, but she says, no, no, before you eat, uh, during the day, Man, that's the hardest one for me to do. Um, yeah, so.
0: that was really hard for me for a long time. Also, um, wow. But I've been doing it pretty much daily since 2010 now, and it's been completely game-changing on every level.
1: Okay. Well, God repeating himself to me today. Thank you. With (laughs) with the people that you contact, like I said, I went on your uh, iTunes reviews and was reading some testimonials, and they're such a gift. And with the people that you're in contact with, and I'm sure you are contacted daily uh, multiple times with people who are listening to you, they're reading your stuff, they're listening to your interviewees and they're impacted. What's a, a testimonial that has resonated with you that has been meaningful to you of somebody who's been embraced who's embraced this methodology and has received a gift in their life?
0: It's a great question. Um, and probably the ones that are most meaningful are not the ones that are public. They're the ones that are emailed to me. Yeah. Um, which also makes them hard for me to share because they're emailed in confidence. But the general, I've had a number where people have been um, in a dark place and in some way they've intersected with the project. And whether it was my voice, whether it was very often, it's not me. It's an idea that was shared by a guest. It's something that was written. um, That in some way it has just sparked a little bit of lightness in their life and allowed them to see possibility again where all they saw was um darkness and no hope of anything ever being different and in that flicker of possibility um came the smallest little action which started to compound on a daily basis and bring them out of darkness and that those are the those are the stories in the emails that you know you're kind of like huh You know, um, and, and people will often say, they're like, you know, um, I just want you to know what you're doing in the world matters. Um, and that's, you know, that's pretty cool.
1: What you're doing in the world matters. That's why we're talking to you now. I could talk to you all day. Uh, thank you for giving us some of your precious time away from your own project for ours. And, uh, it's a gift to people I'm honored to bring them the Good Life Project and you, Jonathan Fields. Thank you so much. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, there you go, folks. Did I say this would be good or what? I mean, again, connect with all that Jonathan has for you. Please go to goodlifeproject.com. And, uh, or just search for it in iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Of course, you can find the book anywhere you get your books as well. Uh, well, coming up next in show 535, we go behind the scenes into Jonathan's personal life and the healthy habits he consistently walks out to maintain his good life. So a little bit of a preview. He's not a morning person. Uh, he puts a big emphasis on meditation. He doesn't miss his morning coffee. God bless him for that. He's not a fan of indoor exercise, which I understand as well. His business partner is his wife, and they're nearly always together with their daughter. Uh, He works to keep himself sharp mentally by being physically healthy. His career efforts are wrapped around the question, will this opportunity allow me to spend as much time as possible with the people I can't get enough of? And he loves making stuff. He just signed up for a month long course on guitar building. Uh, So, this is gonna be fun. You'll wanna hear this show. Till then, as always, thank you so much for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.